Okay, welcome back to the podcast. This is episode number 184 with my guest, Dorian Wallace. Dorian is a fellow Ohioan. Um, he's a composer, a performer. He lives in uh, New York City, and I've come across Dorian in various sort of contexts in the music world, but mostly on social media, um, where Dorian is an advocate for free speech. Um, he also, infiltrate is the wrong word, but he goes into a lot of far right wing blogs and um, talks to people and engages with them. And so I sort of have this odd respect for Dorian in that context. So I always enjoy talking with him. And we talk today about politics, but we talk about free speech. We talk about a bunch of stuff. Um, But I always enjoy chatting with Dorian. So I hope you enjoyed this conversation. Ladies and gentlemen, Dorian Wallace. It's a baby. It's uh, very surreal. You know, nothing makes you feel more like an adult than having a kid in the house like why why do you say that i mean i think i know i think i know why but why do you say that well you know i mean my my life has been a fantasy life you know i was uh (laughs) in the military and then went to being a composer you know like (laughs) like these are these like yeah you know none of it's like just going to like a nine to five ever right uh and like all of a sudden you know got a fucking take care you know it's it's like oh right like bedtime (laughs) You know, I love how you're like my dream life is I was in the military and then I became a composer. Yeah. <laughs> Said no one ever. Yeah, exactly. So what is your what is your your daughter's name is what? Uh her name's Ildico Virginia Wallace. Ildico. Um, how did where did that yeah. name come from? I've seen you do the hashtag Ildico, but yeah, yeah. I, I didn't want to ask until we we met. So how'd that come about? Yeah, so um and but are we recording now? I just uh Um do you want to say that we're officially on the record? Sure, I'm down. I we're officially care. on the record. Welcome to 20, All right. the end of 2020. Ildiko, Virginia. <laughs> yeah, Ildiko. Ildiko um, no, so so my wife is Hungarian, um, Heinel, and Ildiko is a Hungarian name. It's actually it's Attila the Hun's third wife. It means warrior. Whoa. Um, yeah, so uh, we wanted to have the connection to her Hungarian roots, um, you know, because her, her mom is you know, moved to the States from Hungary in her late twenties. So she's very much Hungarian. Heinel went to the Franz Liszt Academy Mm. for her masters. You know, they're all fluent in Hungarian. Um, I eat a lot of Hungarian food because my wife makes it. Is is it Palinka? Palinka? Is Uh, that the alcohol? Yeah. Palinka. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's uh, that's like their, their, their drink, their official alcoholic. Is it pear, Uh, pear liqueur? Is that what it is? I think so. Um, Okay. Yeah, I had a Hungarian so, so, student who brought a bottle back. Oh, excellent! Gift, so, yeah, it's it's. I mean, it's cool. Like, um, you know, when when we went to Budapest, like, because uh, I had never been there before, but like, we every meal you do the uh, Palenka shot. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it's like all right, cool Hungarians. Um, but and then Virginia is my. Um, maternal grandma's name so you know so it was like we'll like have like some kind of connection to the the hungarian side and there's something about like her first name you know ildiko like people are just gonna go what is that so so it'll you know there's some psychology to it and and is uh, virginia your grandmother is from ohio is that correct uh yeah Yeah, she's from ohio it's the hungary of the midwest as i like to say (laughs) (laughs) that's it's the, Columbus is the Budapest of the Midwest. It's, yeah. Oh man, that is uh, weirdly accurate. Like it's like 
It's like no one really wants to be there, but if you leave, you you failed. <laughs> I, well, I I've, I've uh, you know I, I prior to the pandemic, I did a bit of traveling with so, and we did a show in um, I think it was uh, where the frick was it uh, Finland, Turku, Finland. And my, you know, all my friends were like, "Oh, you're going to Finland! I can't wait to hear what it's about." And then I got off the plane. I was like, "This is Canton, Ohio. This looks like Canton, Ohio. This is no different than like, you know, going to Belden Village. Like, there's just pine trees everywhere. There's snow. It's like moderately hilly, only because you're at the foothills of something. You're not really in a mountain. You know, it's like non-committal on every front. It's like Finland sucks, but except every building has a has a sauna in it, so it's totally yeah, way better than for- than Canton, but." Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Anyway. Canton does not have a sound unit in every building. No, I'm sorry, a sauna, like a like a like a sauna. Oh, sauna. Yeah, yeah. They say, yeah, no, definitely yeah. does not have that. Yeah. Um, anyway, well, well, yeah. uh, Dorian, um, let's uh, let's get to hear why we are here to begin with. We've already yeah, dabbled totally. this to order. Um, you and I did a podcast. Is that your walking stick? Uh, it is. Uh, nice. Yeah, I'll I'll actually explain. Please um, do that in a little bit. Um, uh, we had a podcast. Was it during the pandemic? Was it? Uh, yeah, it was right at the beginning. Okay, that feels uh, like, like years in ago. March. Oh yeah. Okay. All right. We talked about free speech, and I remember mm-hmm. you saying something along the lines of that you were a free speech absolutist, and then I asked you a question, and you were like, "Well, I guess I'm not an absolutist," and like yeah. <laughs> we said, it was lovely. Um, but there has been a lot since then, and I kind of <laughs> wanted to end my year talking with you, for better or worse, yes. um, because. You engage on social media with politics way more than I feel like I am comfortable with, and I'm always I'm always jealous of people who are not afraid to mm-hmm. to go hard and go ham on politics or or to just do have a hot take. Like mm-hmm. I've been on the I don't want to say I've been on the Biden train because that makes me feel like I was going to buy a T-shirt and a hat and a pennant and hang it in my room. Like even though I have an Obama poster hanging in my room, just full disclosure. Yeah. <laughs> Um, you know, I listen, I was caught up in the hope and change thing too, but yeah, I, I felt afraid to even say that I back in 2016, 17, whenever Biden and, or like all of the candidates came on the stage, there were like 20 of them. I was like, Biden's the only person I think, like I, I voted for Bernie in the primary against Hillary, but I was just like, I don't, I've been on the Biden train, but I was kind of afraid to because anytime you said something about biden it was like you implied that moderation was okay mm-hmm. and in this world mm-hmm. where somebody like trump was had the bully pulpit moderation was a sign of complicit complicity or you were okay with some st- version of the status quo which i'm not going to disown it's like of course you your venn diagram overlaps with the status quo somewhere dorian if you went out to get coffee today you inter you you sort of overlapped with the well, the fact that we're on Zoom right now, there's an overlap. Like yeah, we are, so we are part of cor- part of corporate culture, right? Uh, just and, by, yeah. So anyway, just I, I, again, I don't have an answer. I, I just kind of want to talk mm-hmm. to you a little bit about, like, I guess I want to ask you a question about myself. Why? Yeah, please. Why do? Why do you think I am so terrified to say that I think Joe Biden is the best possible choice? for us right now why have i been afraid to say that for the last Mm. couple years what is it about our body politic and when i say body politic i mean everything from like mitch mcconnell vetoing or (laughs) refusing to bring up the two thousand dollars to whether or not it happens is another story but like yeah this sort of like uh, politics of the moment as being a definition of you as a person 
um, mm-hmm. I have a hard time trafficking with this idea that you can't change your mind. Anthony Fauci's the devil because back in February he said masks weren't necessary because he was trying to keep hospitals stocked with them. Like this idea that all of a sudden you can't change your mind, you can't learn from something. It's just a trend I feel like. And then we texted a bit about the Steve Reich thing in, in mm-hmm. September mm-hmm. whenever that came up. I have felt like there's a general sort of illness in our body politic, whether it be in contemporary music or just in general. And I, I'm, I've done a lot of self reflection and I don't think I have any clear answers. So that's why I want to talk to you, Dorian. I need (laughs) answers. God damn it. (laughs) Yeah. So that's, that's my main premise. I don't have a good question there, but like, man, yeah. Uh, so, you know, I, I, a couple of things, um, you know, and keep in mind, like, I don't want to project onto you, uh, but you know, I'm sure things are going to be projected. Uh, we're humans. yeah. Uh, but, um, yeah. So, you know, it's, it's funny, man. Um, I float in such a weird sphere of the world. Like I am very left wing in my ideology, mm. but in that circle, you know, in like, I'm talking the most left wing places, like I get shit on for like being cool with liberals. Um, but then like, in the like authoritarian versus libertarian thing. I'm on the left sphere of that. And I'm like willing to hang out with right wing, like libertarians and like talk to them and like shit gets the, you know, that, that kind of thing goes down. But then in libertarian circles, it's like, don't trust him. He's a dirty commie. Like it's like, <laughs> yeah, that, yeah. you know, so it's like, it's this really bizarre, um, one thing social media has done, uh, and I, I do, I'm not an anti-social media person. I think it's actually, I still think the benefits outweigh the the problems. I think Donald Trump showed us how much social media can be exploited. Um, you know, I mean, there are views that I don't even know where I stand anymore because of just going through the last four years like what if you Um, don't mind me i I don't want to get us on a tangent but like like what yeah well like um you know i don't know when facebook uh does the fact checking Mm. i don't know if i agree with that but i understand why they're doing it Mm. um you know because it's like it really it's only helping fuel the divide uh you know if you are getting something that you consider a fact said by a giant giant media corporation that it's not true that's gonna come off very conspiratorial Mm -hmm. but on the other side of it it's like yeah like but we literally have a president who will blatantly lie via twitter like he'll just make something up that like that can you know at at least cause some really uncomfortable conversations within a family and and at worst can even lead to to acts of violence um well and can and can be mis mm-hmm. or can be misconstruing or misrepresenting a private briefing he was given that very morning by the mm-hmm. cia and it's like listen we can talk all we want about the nefarious like the ways the cia or the fbi like and i'm not that steeped in it but yeah yeah they've made mistakes and they've made callous decisions to do one thing or the other but the one thing you can't say about the CIA and the FBI is that every day they are constantly monitoring things to find out information about, mm-hmm. hopefully, people who are trying to hurt us or steal something from us or do things like that. Of right. course, there's other motives. Other things get woven into that. 
But if you just squint at the FBI and the CIA, when they walk into that Oval Office every morning and hand the president a booklet that of, that's like that thick and it has all of the things going on in the world, not mm-hmm. that they're all true, but all of those things have been poured over by people who, by and large, have dedicated their life to investigating information that's hard to get. Mm-hmm. And so when the president mm-hmm. then turns around and is like, nope, it's like, hold up a second, bro. Like – yeah, yeah, yeah. We, this so, is not the same thing. We can't be – this is not – you can't – That. listen, maybe they're a deep state. Maybe they hate you. Right. Maybe they hated Obama. But – I mean, <laughs> I just, mean, just, just to now. put it out there, like, as well, anybody I know who went into, you know, either, like, like the FBI or the C- – like, I, dude, I, you know, I'm friends with an intel guy who works with the CIA mm-hmm. now. Like, he's an army buddy. Yeah. And, like – you know, just to like, I don't want to completely generalize, but generally people in that kind of enforcement agency are going to be Republican. Like, they're going to be Trump voters. Mm. They tend to be pretty objective uh, regarding, um, you know, the, the way that they analyze situations. Uh, but it's just... It's just so... It's just so weirdly conspiratorial that it's mm. like, there's literally, like, you... Like Donald Donald Trump probably has a huge base in the FBI and CIA, but because they were investigating him, all of a sudden that you know they're they're the deep state. That, it's just it's complicated, man. Because you know, um, well, so just, sorry, just to just to go back a couple steps. So I think that social media uh, has affected the way we communicate uh, particular ideas, meaning that. Um, you know, even, even things like, you know, when you're getting into a fight with someone you don't know, uh, you know, the, the, the first point is, you know, if you were in face to face with this person, like there's no way the two of you would be speaking this way to one another. Sorry. Uh, I I don't mean to interrupt, but I just had this very thing happen this morning. There's a guy that I, I was friends with in college. I still am friends with him. Um, mm-hmm. I won't say his name. You you may actually know of him because he's from the Akron area, and he went he went to the University yeah. of Akron, and and you know we've crossed paths. He's from the steel band world, and we were arguing about something on something I posted, and um, said something along the lines of you know this this thing is this, and this thing is this, and we went down this whole thing where he was like you you are not you know you're you're not a, you're not capable of seeing anything, and I'm like you're not capable of seeing anything either, like. And I'm just like, what are we doing? Like, this yeah. is this is this sort of conversation. Social media is not allowing mm. us. And I said something to him, and I was like, I was like, I think we're done here. And he's like, I will not be silenced. I'm going to unblock. I was like, listen, blocking you in, is silencing you. I'm not blocking you. I'm just saying I'm not engaging in this conversation anymore. And like, he was not yeah. able to see this, and it was like, I know I have blind yeah. spots. On the other hand, I don't. I have this dark this dark feeling that I don't think there's an out here. I think we are, mm-hmm. we're, we're swirling the drain and it's just like, we're just going to be arguing until we're down. And I, mm-hmm. I mean, it makes me, I, I guess like, I see you post stuff about, you know, Bernie or about Biden or about Trump or whatever. And because I think you, you're more versed in that world, or at least you feel more confident ver- saying, you know, I don't, I don't actually know a lot about politics. I follow, you know, enough to be dangerous, but I don't, follow right-wing daily stormer trolls like you do you know like that's, oh God, that's, yeah. that's not my my wheelhouse but 
why is it that I know you and if we have a mm-hmm. we have a conversation like this? Oh, part of this conversation I had, as I said, if we were doing this face to face, it would be different. He's like, no, it wouldn't. I was like, well, then I don't know what to tell you. It would be different. Yeah, it's like, that's that's weird, man. <laughs> yeah, it'd be totally different. Talking to face to face is different. But like, why is it that when you post something, I know damn well you're on the other end of that post, but I'm afraid to I'm a, I'm afraid to comment. Hmm. Not because of you. But just because, like, I don't know how many people are hiding behind Dorian Thomas's comment threads just waiting to pounce on some moderate who they think is, like, complicit in the downfall of America so, due to corporatist policies or whatever, you know? Like, so, so yeah, that, that, that's actually <clears> – I will tell you, I think, I think you, you just helped me figure out the difference in uh, the comfortability mm. uh, on social media. Mm. Um, so when I engage on social media, it is rarely about, um, if I get into an argument with somebody or a debate with somebody, Mm -hmm. it is rarely about me trying to convince that person's mind. I'm usually of the mindset that this person has their views Mm -hmm. and I have my views and we're not like this Facebook conversation is not going to be the thing that makes us go, Oh, However, there is an audience of people reading and watching. And I feel that if I can represent myself as being as calm and open-minded, even if it's like a fucking fascist or the most corporate Democrat or, you know, any, any, you know, the most insane Maoist communist, which that's a whole group I've been engaging with lately that I've got some stories. <laughs> I saw you were taking there. a social media break. I was like, uh-oh, yeah. who, who's Dorian talking yeah. to now? <laughs> yeah, well, oh, man. It's it's actually, it's been the the really extreme, uh, like, Maoist communists who are, they're fucking insane. And then I've also, I joined an anarcho-capitalist group, which is, like, the most, in, like, like, they're basically feudalists, but they won't say it, like, they like want to deregulate things so much so they can just have, you know, unlimited corporate power, but they won't say that until you like just ask them yeah. questions. And eventually, corporate power is the devil until you have it. And then it's yeah, awesome. Yeah. Like, you well, know. It, it's like the, the thing that really blew my mind. Somebody, somebody uh, told me that it was like, if you keep pushing an anarcho-capitalist long enough, just with questions, if the if they answer them, eventually they'll get to supporting slavery, and it it was one of those like I had heard about it, but then I was actually in a debate with somebody, and uh, the guy the guy literally what this blue line is blowing my mind. It looks right? great. It's, it's like yeah, it's super cool. But <laughs> I just can't figure out where it's coming from. You're inspiring a rainbow, but only one sixth of a rainbow or whatever. Yeah, exactly. exactly. <laughs> just the blue. It's, it's the it's the B from Biv. <laughs> Just let it, yeah. <laughs> RG, what is it? Uh, RG Biv. Roy, Roy G Biv. Roy G Biv. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. But but yeah, like you know, so I literally was in a conversation with this guy, and at one point it was like, well, so what do you think about slavery? And he was like, well, listen, if people choose that they want to be slaves, I support it. And it was like. You All know when sudden, it's like you hear and, about something, but yeah. then you actually experience it, and it's just like, what the fucking fuck? Well, didn't um, Kanye say something along those lines? I'm sure he did. Like, I, I don't, I don't chose really to follow be a, much yeah. of Kanye. I honest. try not to, but it, it crops up yeah. enough where I'm like, Ugh. oh my god. He's yeah, but but yeah. So so I think it's it's about the intention, and so I think 
Uh, and this might be, correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, could, could I try to describe Please. something about you? Yeah. Uh, so when you are commenting, like, let's say you see me post something completely ridiculous and you know, it's me. Um, if you are commenting, it's to literally engage with me, but because it's out in the wild, you don't know who could be watching it or seeing it. Um, yeah, there's a weird. It's it's like the. Do you know that last episode of Seinfeld, where they're walking yes. they're walking down the street and the person's getting beat up on the other side of the street. Mm-hmm. It's like it's mm-hmm. amazing. I feel like Seinfeld, like Jerry Seinfeld. You don't have to like all of his line, his one liners and his his comedy, but oh, I, I I love Seinfeld. But it's like yeah, <laughs> that episode to me was just the sort of like, just remember, none of you will do anything when somebody else is getting beat up on the other side of the street. Like that's the last thing they left us with was the stand. What was they called the uh, bypass uh, or uh, bystander syndrome or whatever it is? Yeah. Where like when there's enough people around and you see someone getting assaulted on the other side of the street, you assume someone else will deal with it. So your culpability is just statistically less, and so you just feel less mm-hmm. responsible. It's not something you're consciously doing. It's just if it was you and this other person, you would be more apt to at least call the police, mm-hmm. let alone physically inter- interject. You know, it happened again this morning on this thread with my friend who I didn't agree with. Like, somebody commented, like, Quillen, you need to take out your trash in 2021. Like, clean up your friends list, responding to him. Talking about him as if he were trash I needed to take out. I was like, that's not how I curate my friend list. Like, so Uh, why would somebody comment on my post? Why would anybody have an engagement with me if they feel like somebody else is going to randomly chime in and say, you're trash, take this out? So I know you, Dorian Wallace, are not that way. But because I see it happen enough, there's enough of the like, I'm not sure that if I said, hey, Dorian, I think when you say things about Joe Biden or Bernie Sanders as being these two separate ends of the polls, and I say, I don't know, bro, they've both been in in the Senate for pretty much longer than anyone else Mm -hmm. in in human history. So maybe they're closer on this. Like, I feel like if I said that, I'm unsure enough about who's going to throw something at me. I'm unsure enough about how I'm going to be defended that I just don't say anything. Mm-hmm. And that's on your page, let alone someone yeah. else. I know I don't know. Like, like yeah, yeah. You know. No, it's, um, you know, I had a really bad incident um, like a year ago uh, where there was um, this woman I know. Uh, I know her from actually kind of just from like the, the free speech community mm-hmm. Um and she just went on this really, really gross, like transphobic thing on one of my threads. Like what? What was she saying? Just like that. Uh, it was. It was um, around around the idea that trans women are not actually women, and it's actually harming women. But it, it that was her premise, but her language was pretty. Um, what was she talking about? Was she talking about sports? Was she talking about like like society, no, she, like running a she business? She was talking about like... society as a whole, like okay. like basically, um, basically that uh, transgender people were mentally ill, oh, and okay. you know, in, in that sort of realm. And to be totally upfront, you know, I'm I'm in, I'm I'm a music therapist now, and you know, I'm I'm pretty up to date on the literature, and it's like it's not a mental illness. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's people said con- gay people. I mean, it was in the DSM yeah. up until like nineteen something or other. 80, yeah, yeah, 90, whatever. Nineteen fifty. Uh, 
1956 or eight. Yeah, when gay I think. people were mentally uh, ill, you know, it's like, yeah, it's like it's like it, it's one of those things where um, this woman was speaking so confidently about mm-hmm. um, gender dysphoria, which is different than than somebody who's transgender. Mm-hmm. Uh, somebody who's transgender can have gender dysphoria, but but it's not classified as a mental illness. And so I was instead of leaping down her throat for how wrong she was i was just like hey check out these articles and you know just i post <laughs> i literally posted like 20 different articles but this other guy jumped in and like started calling me um like uh, a transphobic sympathizer and like was saying like this woman's an evil piece of shit like she's completely wrong like you must enjoy placating these people and like uh, it got to the point where I literally had to private message him and was like, dude, I'm, I literally have a tactic I'm doing right now. I a hundred percent agree with you. I think she's completely wrong. However, I also know her in this other sphere mm. where I didn't even know this part of her existed. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, so like I'm trying to educate her. I'm trying to give her tools to learn and it literally can't happen right now because you're on there like being being crazy and and keep in mind like like this was like another guy that like i'm friends with in another circle and it was like it was like dude like you're you're not wrong in your opinion but you're actually getting in the way of like what i'm trying to do which is honestly it was more more in the in the in the mindset of trying to get her out of this ignorant you know mental space well, how do you uh, how do you feel like uh, well i guess i i don't want to ask i don't i want to be very yeah, careful yeah. that that you and i don't get into the realm of of theorizing on how other people think i kind of want to be sure mm-hmm. that we're, mm-hmm. we're keeping this to you and me yeah because that's really the only two things we can talk authoritatively <laughs> on and even then that's like I, I feel like i don't know like i change my opinion every five fucking minutes but yeah. like yeah <laughs> what is what exactly. is it about our what is it about, like, well, for you, what mm-hmm. are you unable to deal with when someone presents you facts? I'll speak for, for me personally. The the thing, you know, I my wife uh, was in seminary early on, and I was living with her, and, and I was, you know, I was being exposed to, quite frankly, a lot more diversity in seminary than I was with so percussion early on, like 2006. When I first joined, it was mm. just like, I'm out of school, and I'm, like, trying to figure out New York, like... The, the diversity of opinions I was getting from Stephanie's friends, which were way more gay, way more trans, way more black, way more white, way more Baptist, mm-hmm. way more Jewish and, and Muslim and all of these things than anything I was getting in the new music world. Um, so I had this, I don't want to say an acceptance of like other lifestyles. Like I, I have questions. I'm just like, oh, I don't understand someone who's trans. I'm not trans. I, I, would, love to, mm-hmm. I would love to know more. I had... F- pokes in my life in 2007 who were like telling me like, Oh, I'm a man, but I was born a woman. Like, mm. Well, that's a crazy thing to say out loud in 2007. Tell me more. Like, and we get drink beers and we were chatting. This was well before anybody was talking about this on social media. Now, when I hear something, when I heard a podcast with Joe Rogan talking about, mm-hmm. you know, I follow fighting pretty obsessively. Like I'm not a fighter, but like, I love watching boxing and mixed martial arts yeah, and things yeah, like yeah. that. It is true that when a fighter has been a man their, their whole lives and decides at age 32 to be a woman, that they absolutely have the right to do that. Mm. 
when you're fighting another woman who's been a woman their whole life biologically and hasn't had 32 years of testosterone and hip, just different things forming in different ways, mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. does provide a physical advantage that you can do real damage with. And you need to – there is a conversation to be had around that in combat sports, right? Mm-hmm. When I heard that first, I was like, that can't – like, no, no, no. We can't tell people that they are not certain things. And it's like, well, okay. I understand. And then a woman named Ashley Evan Smith, who's a fighter, fought another fighter who didn't disclose they were trans. And afterwards was like, I have never felt strength like that. I've never felt another woman squeeze me the way Fallon Fox did. Mm. And that is something we need to disclose. Okay. That's a nuanced discussion we can have. But on Facebook? Who who are the names of those two fighters? Sorry, uh, Ashley Evan Smith is the female fighter. Fallon Fox is a female fighter but is trans. And so Fallon Fox was a man most of her life and transitioned to become a fighter and fought, uh, I think, three, I want to say three other fighters before she disclosed that she was trans. Mm. Mm. Um, I think there's issues around this in weightlifting, too. I know that there's a lot of, like, records that are being shattered by by trans athletes. And again, it's like no one's saying that. And, and so anyway, I saw a conversation happening about this on social media around Ellen Page, um, who's not now not mm. Ellen Page, and I cannot remember their name now so please forgive me um ellen page is now trans and they were saying all this stuff about like eddie izzard it's like oh eddie izzard hasn't been in anything i'm just like do you know who eddie izzard is like hold up a second so i posted a joe rogan podcast with eddie izzard where he's like eddie izzard's there as a female talking about the 52 Mm -hmm. marathon she ran all this stuff and they were like it was like crickets they'd never heard of eddie izzard and i just i guess i'm wondering for you like how do you Mm -hmm. How do you pro- <laughs> I mean, where do you start if like the answer is like Ellen Page is the example for trans people all over the world? No questions asked. You can't question mm-hmm. Ellen Page. And putting up a Joe Rogan podcast with with Eddie Izzard from a year and a half ago that talks about all these same things is somehow like no one's going to touch it because it's radioactive. Hmm. Like, man, I guess I'm asking know, where do I interface? How do I interface, or should I? Yeah, I mean. So one one thing that I find very important when engaging is uh, what is the intention mm. behind uh, the questions? Um, because uh, you know, there uh, this is actually very funny. There was a YouTube conversation I saw once between Blair White and Ben Shapiro. Mm that I found to be one of the best uh, examples on how the difference between gender and sex is a real conversation Mm -hmm. because Ben Shapiro is like, I listen to Ben. I I know. And not because I I follow Ben. It's because I'm I'm very curious to know what the others are talking about. Ben Ben is not, uh, Ben is definitely not pro trans and Mm -hmm. definitely, uh, you know, it's like, well, if you're born this way, it's, it's what you are. Like, you know, that, well, that's, he's very that's much, how... he's very, like a lot of his, he doesn't talk about it as much as I feel he should, but a lot of his mm-hmm. views are very theologically based, like yes, rooted yes. deep in his, his Jewish, well, like he wears like, a yarmulke very, all the time. Like, yeah, you know, it's very a orthodox, yeah. like and a very orthodox Jew. Put in that um, context, mm-hmm. he makes more sense. It's just when you listen to right, Ben Shapiro right. and you don't have that context, you're like, this guy's crazy. It was like, well, well hold up a so, second. <laughs> like, so he, he was, um, he was, uh, 
you know, basically saying all the Ben Shapiro things. Mm-hmm. But and and uh, are you familiar with Blair White? No, I'm not actually. Uh, she's a conservative mega trans woman. Okay. Uh, so like, it's actually. Um, I think I actually thoroughly disagree with her on 95% of the things she says, except I find her insights on being trans almost more insightful because mm. she, because everything else we don't agree on. And yeah, it's like, yeah. but in the conversation with her and Ben Shapiro, Ben kept saying she and her to Blair White, like unconsciously, he would be like, he would be like, well, yeah, if I see you, I'd call you a she, you know, or what does like, Blair White identify as? She, she is a woman. Um, okay, so she is a woman. Okay, yeah. all right. Um, uh, yeah, and so it just, um, the, it was so funny because Ben Shapiro's like tr- sticking to his guns, but then keeps <laughs> referring to her as a woman because she, she, uh, she appears as a woman. Mm-hmm. Like she, mm-hmm. that she looks like a woman. There's no, there's literally no doubt that, uh, like where she is in, in the, right. in that. However, she wasn't always a woman. And so, um, anyways. I know that's just like one very like glazed over example on how to process, but to get to the more specific thing about what you're talking about, which was um, about, uh, you know, trans people involved in combat sports. I don't have a good answer and I don't know if I'm the right person to even. Oh man. I I am not the the right person. My only experience is that I've just watched yeah, I, I listen. I would say seventy percent of the podcasts I listen to are fight based. Mm-hmm, they're mm-hmm. interview. They're like some fighter has a podcast where they talk. They talk inside yeah. baseball all the time, and this is a conversation that's happening enough in that community. And there's and I gotta say, mm-hmm. there's no genuine animosity or sort of feeling of like we've got to oppress. Like they're just like let's mm. just make a transgender league. Like the M- MMA UFC should have a transgender category where like you know they're like. At what point do we sort of try to merge all of the things that are scientifically, biologically happening to you as a as a born male or a born female? Mm-hmm. What's happening to you over the course of your life? How does that interface then with how we – like we have weight classes. We have – you know, uh, mm-hmm. somebody has a reach advantage. Like there, there are there are subtle differences between all of us. Somebody has a seventy four inch reach advantage. That's going to be better than the person who has a seventy one inch reach advantage. Like, but yeah, when we hit this level of like who somebody is, that's where it gets like, no, fuck you. You can't tell me who I am. And this inability for us to sort of um, yeah even embrace these conversations rationally before we erupt into somebody's a I- fascist. Man, it's so just... I, I've got I've got a real question. Um, mm-hmm. So there are a couple of trans um, trans fighters that you've mentioned. Mm-hmm. What is their opinion on all of this? Well, I've only the only one I know of is Fallon Fox. Um, yeah, and just to be clear, I'm not like an expert on Fallon Fox yeah. or trans fighters, but I think the general consensus, if I were to paint with a broad enough brush here, is that mm-hmm. most fighters when they enter into i mean there's a few crazy ones who are like yeah i would fight with a glass bottle and like the best man or woman wins like that's it and i think there are some fighters who should who would say that men and women should be able to fight against each other if they both consent i think the vast majority the plurality of spider fighters are like no even the least trained man has some advantage over a trained woman just by sheer body mass and the way our Mm. the way things work like 
But on the whole, I think everybody's supportive. Like, like they they want people to feel like, man, you want to you want to be in this sport? Awesome, great. I'll train with you. I'll do all the things. I'm just not going to get in the ring in this sanctioned event with you and let you squash my head like a watermelon. Like that's not what I'm going to let you do. And you, again, like I I think Eddie Izzard says the same thing. It's like there should be transgender categories in weightlifting. But again, it's like we're in the infant stages. How do you how do you judge that? Mm-hmm. We don't know enough. Yeah, like I, it's complicated. I, I mean, I but I, I think, think disclosure. I think, I think disclosure and transparency is the thing that I think most fighters like. If I'm going to walk in a room ring with somebody's transgender, that's on me to accept. That's not yeah. on, that's not on me to find out later that you've had 32 years of testosterone pumping through your body, and that's why your muscle mass is the way it is. Mm. Like no matter how much estrogen you've been on for two or three years, it doesn't take away from 32 years of like building a structure of your body that Mm. is scientifically. And I think Joe Rogan, where he gets a lot of shit Mm -hmm. is like, there's nothing I know more on this planet. He's like, I know less about podcasting than I do about fighting. (laughs) And he's like, and I get paid a hundred million dollars a year to podcast. I know about fighting and you cannot tell me that there's, there's no difference between men and women. That's where like, I feel like this rationality on these conversation breaks down because mm-hmm. people see that as like, well, he's not seeing everybody as equal. It's like, uh, okay. I yeah. Think we're not seeing I, these on levels here. I think, yeah, there, there's a lot of nuance to it. Um, you know, it's the honest, the honest to God thing, man, is uh, I think sometimes we have these like cartoon character versions mm-hmm. of what individuals are or mm-hmm. who they represent. Um, because yeah. I don't know, like I, I know I, I, I don't want to do this one, but I'm going to do it. Do uh, it. Do it, know, it's Dorian. Like, it's like, I, I have a lot of friends who, who are transgender and they tend to be like super dope people who, uh, who are very open to having mm-hmm. hard conversations. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I just don't, it's like. I think the space should just be opened up to have the dialogue and I think people would show up. Uh, I have students in my experience, I've had mm -hmm. some students who are more aggressive than others on this front, but Mm -hmm. in terms of students being non-binary or trans or having, you know, wanting Mm -hmm. to be called by different pronouns, I've tripped over it a million times. I said somebody, she, when they were, they on a concert stage in front of like 400 people, like I've made the mistake and I've apologized afterwards and every, and, Almost, I would say 99% of the time, it's been like, oh, I didn't even notice. Like, what do you mean you didn't even notice? Even if you're lying to me, you're being polite, which I appreciate. Which means to me that you're actually seeing this as a longer relationship than one transaction of me introducing Mm -hmm. you on a stage. Like, oh, cool. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. Except when you go on social media, you see someone say a teacher responded or called me they instead or she instead of he or something. And it's like, it feels like this, this crucifiable offense and like I, I just like I don't know I guess I I guess I just don't my sense is that social media is winning and the face-to-face interactions are losing <laughs> and yeah, that's, that's so yeah. scary to me Dorian yeah I mean you know it's it's uh I don't know if you know if there really is an answer yet uh I, I guess like so what what do you want uh what what's like <laughs> <laughs> like, I love you're the first person in all of these podcasts to be like, hold up a second, bro. What do you yeah, what do you want out of this? Yeah, what, like what 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 do you want? Uh, uh, that's a great question, actually. I want to ask you the same thing. I would, but I'll yeah. go first. To yeah, yeah, me, yeah. I want there to be a sort of 
You know how, like, when you open up Facebook, it says, what's on your mind? Like, there's a default premise that we all, whether we tacitly agree with it or even are aware of it, we are all agreeing to say, here's what's on my mind, Facebook. Like, there's a there's a premise upon which we're all acting. Mm-hmm. I feel like in the last, since I graduated and social media became one of the other main ways in which we communicate, I feel like the reasonable person standard has gone out the window. Mm. Like, there's no sense that... that the the person on the other end is a reasonable person and mm. that when they say something like you know i i don't understand i feel like there should be other weight classes there should be other classes for transgenders mm. very quickly and i think and i fall victim to this too i see somebody post something that's even moderately supportive of trump and i'm all of a sudden like you love ivanka i'm like that's not that can't that's not a <laughs> rational reaction i'm having but like wh- I think the reasonable person standard has gone out the window and I want to know how to get it back. I want to admit out loud that I'm not good at applying it to the people I'm seeing. And that includes yourself because I see something you post and I feel like you're sorry. This is just a, you're, you're unreasonable enough that you have a, a, a ring of more unreasonable people around you like orcs that are just waiting to kill me. And so like, bro, in three and a half seconds, I make that decision and I go, whoop past dorian like i just yeah. keep swiping past and then i message you like we should do a podcast you know yeah and like because <laughs> i'm a pussy and i don't want to get on your your page and do anything about it but like the reasonable person standard has gone out the window how do we get that back or yeah. do you agree that that's even something that's gone out the window i i don't think it's gone out the window i think it's mm. i think it's actually just more exposed um you know i mean you and i grew up in republican households mm-hmm. uh and I would say that, you know, processing a lot of things, uh, like I was, Democrat was a bad word mm. in my house, you know. Yeah, uh, it was always the Democrat party because of Russia. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, like, you know how the liberals are. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and um, I heard the phrase, we're right with, we're what's right with America. I heard that phrase more often yeah, than not in my household. Yeah. Or the the silent majority, That that's another one. Um, or, or just even... Uh, I don't know, like all of the the fascinating, I'll just say, fat, this is my nice way of yeah. processing it, but the fascinating justifications for, you know, horrific war crimes and like, well, you know, when it's, when it's your life or, or your, the other life, you know, you just gotta, sometimes you just gotta make that hard call. And it's like, you know, I'd, I'd hear these kinds of things, mm. and then I joined the military, and it was like, you know, it's not quite that like, <laughs> movie version. It's a uh, lot more know, boring and actually way scarier than you think. <laughs> well, well, it's it's like it's also a lot more like it's it's less dangerous in some ways than people think, and it's also like more insanely dangerous mm. than other people think, and and it's just like. Uh, but so, anyways, you know, I feel like I've heard irrational thoughts that were just completely spoken as if it was like the unquestionable mm-hmm. truth. Mm-hmm. Uh, and to the point where, when I started asking questions, like I didn't even know what answer I was looking for, but I would just ask a question. It would be immediately like shut down. Like, Oh, don't, you know, like, so, um, mm-hmm. uh, I'm going to kind of shift this to something we were sort of speaking about, but uh, didn't actually dig into. Um, But so first off, uh, if I could have my way, uh, like what my goal is, 
is, and this is a very existentialist um, way of looking is um, I, I'm very interested in individual healing, meaning that the individual looks inward uh, to see what is going on in their processing. Um, And uh, it's really amazing how if you want to help change the world, you have to internalize Mm -hmm. what you're doing to cause harm. Mm. Um, And so uh, the three areas that I think need the most work on the individual is um, first one's really dark or heavy, you know, but the first one is the acceptance of death. uh, Bro, I am stuck on one. Are you kidding me? I'm writing these down, but I'm never going to get off of one. So count me out (laughs) for number two and three. (laughs) So, so, but the, the, the acceptance of our mortality, I'll Uh put it that way. Yeah. Meaning that it will happen, you know, like, like there's the Louis CK joke. It's like, yeah. The, the Louis C.K. joke where he's like, you know what? There's more dead people than living people. Like, what do John F. Kennedy, Adolf Hitler, and Jesus Christ have in common? They're all fucking dead. Ain't none of, my dad dying of ALS looked at me right in the eye and he's like, ain't none of us getting out of this alive. I was like, motherfucker. God damn yeah. You could have been like, live your life to the fullest. No, right, dad, right. you said the least inspirational thing ever. Well, <laughs> so, so facing mortality, mm-hmm. um, the second part is coming to terms with the need to be right or the need to be correct. Mm. Um, And the third part is coming to terms with our own insecurities, not feeling like we're good enough or not, you know, those three things, Mm -hmm. when you start to really internally analyze them uh, either through, you know, like, like a mindfulness practice or meditation practice, or, or, you know, even, even a, a spirituality or a religion, when you start to face these these things, it kind of loosens up certain aspects. Like um, we all have holes in the way we see the world. Um, you know, I was not a fan of Joe Biden mm-hmm. at all, but saw Donald Trump as so much more of a threat that after Bernie stepped out, Mm -hmm. I, you know, all of a sudden became a Biden person, Mm -hmm. you know, like it was, it was, uh, I, I'd get into different spaces and, you know, just be like, Hey, I don't like trust all these policies, but we're literally facing an authoritarian right now. And, Uh and, and, you know, things are worth, like I was on a call. This is, this is going to be the most Dorian Wallace statement, I think, of this whole podcast. But I was on a Zoom call with a whole bunch of Rojavan revolutionaries. Yeah, you were. Uh, of course you were. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and we were like, but, you know, like the it was a Q&A kind of thing. Yeah. Um, but I was just on it because because I, 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 I love Rojava and I, I really stand for what they stand for. But uh, but, um, you know, the question came up. It was like, what do you think of the U.S. election? And. These like Kurdish revolutionaries who were literally on the front line against ISIS, they went, they were, they were like, though we will never say that a Biden victory would be beneficial for us uh, in certain material needs, he is much more predictable and much easier to work with than the sociopath Donald Trump. So we give our support to Joe Biden. And like, my head exploded where it was like fucking Rojavan revolutionaries just basically said Biden Harris 2020. Well, this is, mm. sorry, go ahead. No, 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 go ahead. Yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. So, 
you know, I, I actually wanted to dig into this a little bit with you mm-hmm. um, <clears throat> on the spirituality side yeah, of things yeah. where, so I became a very hardline atheist as a response to my religious upbringing. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. It was, it was a, the way I kind of put it is on a popular front or on a popular philosophy i say atheist as a way to make a clear stance that i am not a part of any organized religion however in an actual nuanced conversation i'm an agnostic because i don't know anything i don't know what's right i don't know what's wrong i know that i don't trust the church teachings to as the the way that i was taught them but i also think there's a lot of good in the church teachings mm. and it was actually the humans that I had the problem with and not the, not the teachings themselves. And um, just learned a really interesting concept where uh, it was, um, it was actually a podcast uh, I was listening to a couple of days ago where it was a Buddhist and a uh, Sufi Muslim talking mm. about religion and the way they were dividing. And these were, these were both scholars in, in their religions but the way they were speaking about it was they were actually putting a division um and this is a generalized division like this isn't like you're this therefore that Mm -hmm. but they were actually putting it as orthodox versus mysticism and it like blew my mind because they were like the orthodox there's a separation there's a you know a need to um to to worship or to follow like a criteria but on the mystical side it's about becoming one with and becoming open to and learning like and and it just like it kind of hit me it was like holy fuck like i am down with mysticism like my entire problem has always been the dogmatic view of these things but like I actually have zero issue with the teachings of Christ. Mm -hmm. I have zero issue with, with the Buddha, like, you you know, especially looking at them in a historical context or anything. It's like, I don't have a problem with anything that they're about. Um, And in fact, like there, there's one guy I know uh, who is one of the best humans I know. uh, And he is completely, doing it as part of his mission work uh, for being a Christian. He, he does homeless uh, act, um, homeless action. Mm-hmm. He's gets medical supplies and food and mental health resources. Right. He's out every day. Like that's his full-time job. And he, he's got a great social media account. He'll literally post selfies of him with like some like church of Satan people. And like, he's like, yeah, I met these Satanists. They were great. <laughs> and like, and he's like such a cool guy. Um, that whenever I have like a negative internal cringe response to Christianity, I have to remind myself that it's actually associated to the unquestioning dogmatism that I was raised around. And it's not actually the religion itself. I, I don't know if that makes any sense. It makes but, total uh, sense. I, I am in enough of a left leaning sort of career where the idea that I do Bikram yoga is scandalous. Like that is a th- because of Bikram Chowdhury or whatever his name is. Like, yeah. Which, to be quite honest, I know very little about. Like, I you know I don't know about his. I know that he's was a bit of a creeper and had sex with some of his his clients and his students and what have you. That does not mean that doing ninety minute Bikram yoga isn't awesome for me. 
Like, mm-hmm. and to be able to separate those two things as, as two separate, it's like asparagus makes your pee smell, but it's also good for you. Like there's two, you, you should be able to hold two thoughts in your head. Yeah. It's like Jesus, you know, the teachings of like, find me a teaching of Jesus where applied in almost any, any tense situ tense hum, human situation right now in 2020, where that wouldn't at least be a thing to ponder. You may not need to do it, but you should, you know, you could at least be like, should I turn the other cheek? Should I be nice to this person? Mm-hmm. Should I thank them for their aggression and move on with my life? Like, th- those are all totally vital. You, you may get punched in the face. You may regret it. But at least those are mm-hmm. better responses than just immediately swinging a punch. Mm-hmm. The problem is, is that you have Joel Osteen and you have Creflo Dollar and you have these other sort of mega churches who refuse to open their doors to people during floods and hurricanes in, in Houston and Texas. And so like it becomes, and they've got 501 C three status. And now anyone with a 501 C three status who's a church is bad. Like that's how quickly we jump to my wife. You know, I'm in a new music group. I've been in minivans enough where everybody, you know, three out of the four people in the van are saying all churches should have their 501 C three status revoked. Meanwhile, we're a percussion quartet that has 501c3 status. Like, what the fuck? Are we Are we responding to earthquakes in Haiti, motherfuckers? That's not what we're doing. Like, so percussion isn't down there, like, helping to rebuild water lines when Haiti's shit explodes during an earthquake. That's the yeah. Catholic Church. You're, you're so not running a you soup can, kitchen you every, can be, every Saturday. And you should rightfully be upset about the child molestation hiding the mm-hmm. Catholic Church. All of that is but again, two thoughts in your big old brain and mm. and ask yourself like how can you make that same statement in a minivan knowing full well that my wife is a pastor and her church is not the same as Joel Osteen's church and that there are levels to this. Like there's first degree, second degree, third degree and involuntary manslaughter. We have all of those. Why? And mm-hmm. it took us hundreds of years to get there. We used to just behead somebody for stealing something. And then we were like, no, well, that's, that's a little crazy. Let's just cut off their hand. That's yeah. that's a little more. And there's like, well, the hand thing's a little intense. He literally just took a churro from that lady. Like, uh, all right, maybe yeah. just a finger. Then maybe we'll make them wear a letter. Like all of these, like we have figured this out. Why? I, I guess this is my biggest thing. With social media, with all of this, I feel like we're back in, like, the Roman ages where, like, mm. somebody messes up. It's like, throw them in the Colosseum with the lions. You know, it's like, oh, why are you not able to connect these things? Like, they're all related. The thing I will say, though, is, like, I was following, you know, I, I, I follow comedy as I, I think you do as oh, yeah. well. But, yeah, that, I, I said I think yeah. you do as well. No, <laughs> You know how you're saying people yeah. fully know your wife is a pastor? <laughs> I fully know you're completely into comedy. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, so there's a lot of the, the conversation that I'll see is like comedy has never been this censored before. Yeah. And they'll get, they'll, well, first off, like, I don't think that's even objectively true because Lenny Bruce was literally arrested and, and tried for his comedy. There is a law that George Carlin is in, in, you know, in the Supreme court because of uh, his seven, seven words you can't say on television bit. Like, it's like, you know, that has, that's, that has not happened uh, in, in the, you know, the last couple of years, I've not seen one comedian, get arrested and taken to court and have the Supreme court have to talk about, right. you, you know, so that's the first part. I agree the with second you part, 
the second part is the the um you know the comedians that will get cited it's like dave Chappelle, bill burr louis ck and it's like louis had a special after his allegations like that was put up on netflix and dave Chappelle, his special won the emmy this year and bill burr just got a gig in the mandalorian like it's like their careers didn't die even remotely they were shunned a bit but like nothing actually happened in the larger or i i don't don't know it just no i mean i guess the the question though is how many Mm -hmm. other comedians who don't have the cover that dave Chappelle and louis ck and Mm -hmm. chris rock and you know, that's, the that, Tosh that 2.0, point. like how many other, and I guess I, I'm not asking like how many comedians just, how many mm-hmm. comedians aren't being, God, how do I even say this without coming off like an asshole? How many comedians are not pushing the boundaries or exploring new artistic territories because they see that if Dave Chappelle is going to get a huge backlash because of some mm-hmm. transgender jokes he did. And Dave Chappelle's a billionaire or a millionaire and like has mm-hmm. – like he's got – he lives in outside of Cincinnati and is building his own yeah. club right now. Like he's fine. But for me, Joe Blow living in New York or living in Des Moines, Iowa, trying to mm-hmm. start my stand-up career, I'm not even going to touch that material because it's not worth it. Now, maybe it's not worth it. Maybe that material is not great. But as an artist, what – where – I guess this is my thing. Like how – What's the unintended damage we're seeing or, or, or consequences we're seeing of people mm-hmm. not being – I would say – I would venture to say even trans comedians not feeling comfortable to comment on certain things within their own field because of the way mm. things are perceived. I guess I'm just like in the, art, in the arts yeah. world, for example, like anybody using – we talked about Steve Reich to begin with. Like mm-hmm. anybody mm-hmm. using an African bell pattern now moving forward, if they are privy to that argument around Steve Reich – and what happened around a comment he said, why would I even attempt to be influenced by West Africa right now, knowing that something I said 10 years, 50 years ago on social media might be blown up in a way? Like, I guess I'm just wondering what is the what is you know, the effect on, on art or on people in terms of how they create stuff? And is it yeah, good or bad? I don't know. I'll, I'll put another one out there. You know, we're, we're just much more aware of, of marginalized groups, mm-hmm. which is, I don't know, man. Like, so I just did a project with, um, with a, a black woman. Uh, we, we co-collaborated, um, uh, co- composing a, a piece mm-hmm. during COVID and it was, I'm not going to front. It was one of the best collaborations I've ever, 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 ever been involved who with. Who was it? Because do you mind, do you mind I, saying? Uh, sorry. Who, was, who um, was it? Do you mind saying? Bonita Oliver. She's okay. a performance artist. Okay. Really, really incredible. And why was it so awesome? Well, at the very beginning, we established a relationship that we could talk about anything. Awesome. I'm talking like anything. And there were points in our dialogue where she was like, that was really racist, what you just did. And it literally was a, okay, how come? Like, what, like, can, can you give me insight? And she was like, you did this? Like, you know, well, I'll tell you this. Yeah, please t- give me an example. Yeah. yeah, I'll actually tell you, like, what it was instead of making it abstract. We did a Zoom performance. Um, and when she and, she and I have a good jam relationship, mm-hmm. uh, um, 
uh, which y'all, y'all should check out on YouTube. But, uh, <laughs> but um, you know, she and I have a good uh, improvisational language mm-hmm. because we both have a lot of influence from the avant-garde, but we also have a lot of influence uh, from jazz and blues mm-hmm. and, and that sort of yeah. setting. And so one of our sessions, just privately, we had ended up getting into Strange Fruit. You know, she ended up singing those lyrics and it was just this What's really strange powerful. Fruit? Sorry, I don't. Yeah, it, it, it was this really powerful moment. So sorry, sorry. What, would... what is Strange Fruit? You, oh, you said that oh my a, goodness. Please sorry. talk to me like I'm two. Yeah. So Strange Fruit, it's a song um, made famous by Billie Holiday about lynchings. Aha. Um, OK, great. And the Strange Fruit is the is the bodies in the, Hanging from in the, the trees. trees. Yeah. Okay. yeah right. It's so, um, yes. So anyways, it was this powerful experience, uh, when we did it in our private jam session via zoom. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then we got asked to perform, uh, there's these, um, open, open improvisation sessions that Marina Kieferstein, Kieferstein, I uh, can never remember how to pronounce it, but, okay. um, she runs those open improv sessions on Facebook live. And so Bonita and I did one and like before I was like, Hey, do you think we could do strange fruit? And she was like, you want to do strange fruit? And I was like, yeah, yeah. Like it's, it was so cool. And she was like, okay, we'll do it. Um, And she was like real hesitant, but I wasn't picking up on it, Mm -hmm. which I will call, I will call ignorance or privilege. If you want to say it, I I wasn't picking up on the fact that she was incredibly uncomfortable. Mm. Anyways, we do it, we're playing, and it's sounding fucking dope. And she starts to read um, a poem by, I'm not going to remember her name, but uh, uh, a poem from uh, the 1940s from an African-American woman poet. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll find the name and try to send it to you. Okay. Um, but anyways, while she did that without thinking, I did the power fist mm-hmm. in the air. And so that was it. That's, that's all it was on my side of it. A couple days go by and she's like, we're like talking about our collaboration. We're having our meeting and we start talking about the jam session um, that was in front of all these people. And she was like, yeah, I was like really uncomfortable. Like that, that was really mm. not cool. And I was like, what, what, that how, you how did so? This. The whole thing. She, yeah. Uh, we started talking about it. And so I'll tell you both of our biases. Hers was, I don't want to say that I'm speaking for all black people. I don't want to say that. And, Mm, and mm. like, and I was like, don't worry about me translating this as I have a black friend. So therefore all black people, like, it was like, please like, tell me like, you are my friend, like, tell me what you are feeling. Mm -hmm. And on the reverse of it, I had to literally hear her go, that was really racist. It seemed like you were exploiting me because I'm a black woman, that you wanted to do this incredibly traumatizing song. And then at the end of it, you felt okay to do the fist. Mm. What does the fist mean to you? So we start talking about it. And it was like, you know, I go to a lot of protests and like, that's a normal thing. I've done it in groups of white people. And she was like that makes sense she's like i actually know what you're talking about and so we start getting into it and it gets into the it's about the context Mm -hmm. and she and so like it actually got to this point where it was like all right i gotta ask did it feel was it cultural appropriation and she was like yeah yeah it was to her and yeah 
Yeah, it yeah. was. And so we talked it through. To her, it was our, in that moment. It was. Mm-hmm. It was context oriented. Yeah, yeah. Um, and the whole thing is that we had that level of nuance. And I am going to tell you that she and I were so fucking uncomfortable. Like it wasn't even a like I was uncomfortable and she wasn't like we were both like, oh, man, like like, you know, because she in her side of it, like when we've talked about it after the fact, she was like, I'm going to tell this white man that he was racist. Like, I'm, gonna, I'm just, and that's not, yeah, that I mean, let's not, not assume that's an easy position to take for anyone. Right. I mean, well, and so like, you know, think about the responses that, you know, had that conversation happened on social media, mm-hmm. how complex that could have gotten yeah. and, how, you know, but, and how so little of your, how little true honesty would have actually come to the surface. Mm-hmm. I think I'll bet the two of you would not have gotten to where you got if it was happening in the context of mm-hmm. somebody else being able to chime in and be like, this guy is an, this guy is a colonizer. It's like, well, as soon as that room's in the, that word is in the room, nobody can talk mm-hmm. like, like, and that's mm-hmm. not like, and I think it's important for you to have a conversation with your friend first, mm-hmm. because, you know, I have, I'm, I have a room full of steel drums. I have these conversations to varying to different degrees than what you're talking about, mm-hmm. um, in the steel band world. And I feel like I bring up the fact that I'm white more often than they do, um, mm-hmm. as a way to be like, I want you to know that I'm thinking about this. And I keep saying it, like, I want you to know that like, I'm aware what I'm bringing to the table mm-hmm. and I don't want you to change anything you're doing. I want me to just be at the table and not have that ruin the whole goddamn spread that we've all set up here, you know? Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. but then it's like, but sometimes when I say that that's like, I am pulling up a seat at the table, it ruins the whole goddamn spread for everybody. Like, like yeah. I've sat down and been like, well, I'm put on my white placemat just so you all know I'm here. Yeah. And it's like, <laughs> yeah. and they all, Bro, I've been doing this for like 10 years and I feel a responsibility to somehow cop to something. Mm-hmm. But the response back I get is often like, wrap it up, bro. We know what you're saying. Yeah. And like, that's always when I do it in public. When I do it privately, the conversations have happened way quicker and mm-hmm. they're way more efficient. And so like, I think I'm just saying like, I feel like mm-hmm. these conversations, I wish these conversations could happen in private but publicly where no one else could chime in. And we were just watching you and Bonita have this out so that mm. I, I, I wish that was a function of social media where you could say Dorian Wallace, like I am having Dorian Wallace is having a conversation at 12 o'clock and it's just the two of you. No one can chime in. You can't like it. You can't put a heart. You can't put the huggy heart thing. You can't put the crying can't emoji, the, nothing, the angry face. Yeah. But what you can watch is two people who truly care about yeah. each other. Talk through some bullshit. Yeah, I mean, you know, so so just to go back to the the Steve Reich uh, mm-hmm. situation and the so we are now at a phase where we're much more aware of things. You know, the 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 specific Bonita conversation that I just referenced that was a I I left that jam session like wow that was pretty fucking cool and just like left and she had like days of sitting with it and being like oh my god i work with white people and they you know they'll be super nice they'll be super great and then they just see me as a black woman and they just want to do things about being black and like and and, you know that that was where my 
my social elevation, you know, like mm. I'm trying to use a word that's not yeah. privileged just for whatever reason, but it just, it was one of those, like, it was an eye opener. It was like the fact that I could literally get off that thing and just like go hang out with my wife, like, like watch, the watch fact Netflix. That, the like, fact that she said to you, what does this mean to you? Like, and the, yeah. the idea that you had a very quick answer mm-hmm. is again, like I have these things too. It's like, it's proof that it doesn't mean anything to you. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. it's it's like the fact that your answer was so quick is like oh okay actually I didn't I'm glad I asked like yeah you, you have yeah. you have, like I to me the the very first mm-hmm. person I when I was 20 years old I went to Trinidad the very first person who ever told me about the Black Power movement was mm. a Trinidadian man wearing full army fatigues and a black beret with the patch and I'm like I have zero context I'm just like there is a rando behind me wearing army fatigues <laughs> what a kook you know and I'm in Trinidad I'm 21 and I'm like give me a beer you know and oh, and then he explains yeah, yeah. to me the context around what's happening in that only 25 years ago 30 years ago that this black the black power movement in Trinidad and how it sort of coincided with the black power movement in the United States and blah blah mm-hmm. blah and all the politics mm-hmm. going on in Trinidad and Dr. Eric Williams in the 50s and like all of these things it's like oh now I understand, but that's mm-hmm. that's the reason for me that holding this up is like I know there's some like seventy year old Trinidadian man, some seventy year old Trinidadian man showed me in nineteen ni- or two thousand and one that I clearly didn't know enough about why that patch on his fatigues were was a fist. Mm. I didn't understand enough about that to just like I just felt like all right, well I just won't ever use mm-hmm. it, but. Bro, you do you. Like, I'm gonna go yeah. back to Akron, Ohio after this <laughs> and, and play John Cage. Like, I don't I'm 19. Yeah. I don't know what the hell I'm talking about. Yeah, uh, yeah. And now 20 years later, when I see people in a protest out doing this, mm-hmm. t- I understand why I get it and I empathize and I I I want people to feel empowered to support mm-hmm. how they want to support. But I will mm-hmm. never be in a crowd of people doing this unless that man mm-hmm. in the fatigues is beside me and says, yeah, it's fine. Or I'm mm-hmm. with Kendall mm-hmm. Williams or Jerry Guy or somebody else in the pan community mm-hmm. who says, no, it's okay. Like, that's when I would be out like this. Yeah. But for the yeah. last 10 months, I, I, I've i been terrified to even, like, say that out loud. Like, that somehow is, yeah. like, like, sacrilege or I think Dorian did something wrong. It's like, that's not true. It's just – you know, we all identify with this stuff in different ways. And it's fascinating to me how it manifests now in 2020 in different cultures. And I know we only have 15 minutes here before we got to let you go back to uh, Ildiko because she's way more important. But um, (laughs) Dorian, I don't know if we've, we've solved any problems here, but with these last, no, no, absolutely not. (laughs) With these these last 15 minutes, I kind of want to just ask you, I, I texted you and sort of being like, let's leave this as a, as a podcast of like, Let's ask a question mm-hmm. and hopefully people can feel like there's some hope or some some path. Mm-hmm. Like let's hack away the first three feet of the path we want people to go go down. Um, for you, what do you feel is like going into 21, what do you feel you did well? And what do mm-hmm. you feel you, you need to do better or differently moving into 2021 in terms of how you correspond with people, how you interface with the world? how you personally process your anxiety about all of those things? Like what are some mm-hmm. things you personally want to do differently? Hi. Well, um, other than making sure your kid is alive at the end of the year. That's, right. Right. That's right, like, yeah. that's at the top of the list. Fuck everything else. <laughs> Diversity yeah. to other, hell. Other if like, your kid needs that, fed, you feed your kid. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Other, other than, than parenting responsibilities. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no. Um, I mean, so 
you know, I'll, I'll start with the things that I think need improved. Uh, you know, it's, it's hard to gauge uh, how, when the right time to be aggressive and when the right time to be passive is. Uh, and I'll say realistically, I think 70% of the time, I feel like I'm pretty good, but there's a 30% of the time where it's like, wow, I just like ripped that person apart when I shouldn't have, or, <laughs> or took this like way too personally, you know, like it's still very much there. I um, mean, I don't know if you can hear the baby in the back. Oh yeah. yeah. She's, she's like, Papa, it's time. Wrap it up. Yeah. <laughs> but um, No cool. Free speech is good, dad, but uh, I got to yeah. eat. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so, you know, I, I think it's, you know, just the, the ever, um, the everlasting question of like, how, how can I be better to other people? Um, and, and also, you know, uh, ev- be even more self-reflective. Um, so what I thought, uh, I did do well is, um, you know, man, uh, th- this is dark, but, um, I actually lost, uh, uh, I'll just say three, three white male friends due to politics. And these are people who typically would be aligned. Mm -hmm. Um, but it was particularly about, uh, the, the first group, it was, well, it was all about identity politics. Um, and the, the, the first individual that I had a uh, falling out with. Um, it was because they were talking about um, something on their wall about uh, diversity training. Mm. And I was like, yeah, I mean, like I, I got on it, you know, I, I commented and there were all these like really far right people on there that were saying some pretty horrific stuff, but my friend got it in on me. Like he like, honed in on just like really like verbally assaulting me and like and uh he sent an apology like after the fact and i didn't respond Mm. and then he sent another apology and i didn't respond and he tagged me in something on social media and like was like oh i see you're posting on facebook but you won't respond playing hard to get bro (laughs) yeah well so i like and keep in mind like you know like aside from the fact that like i was irritated with the dude it's like i also like had a child that was about to be born and like, it was like, man, I don't like have time to address yeah. this like further. Like it's, uh, but anyways, I finally like wrote him back and was like, man, I'm not upset with like the questions you were asking. I was upset that you like got so into it with me uh, saying that, like, I don't think it's that big of a deal versus the people who were like oh my god the the commie jews are taking you know like like mm-hmm. that kind of insane stuff uh the second group um was more left-wing oriented people um who got mad at me for throwing support towards joe biden mm-hmm. and uh and they thought that uh my support of the the like like white fragility that book by Robin D'Angelo, they felt my support for any of that was just keeping class consciousness like separated and 
it literally ended like I, one of the guys I haven't spoken to. He like kind of was just like, I'm done. And, you know, out from my perspective, through a temper tantrum. I've had lots of arguments well, about white fragility, but none that have ever divulged into me ending a friendship over. Like, well, that, that was the thing. It was, my, my it bag. was, I found out by the friendship ending that he was upset about my views. Mm. Uh, you know, like I, I didn't even know, but they, it, it was a group of, two of them that were sort of in the same category. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and so, so anyways, um, I actually, well, just the, the reason um, I brought this up was it was actually due to um, my relationship with, uh, with composing with Bonita, as well as just um, many of the artists that I've been working with and having these kinds of conversations, like the one you and I are having where I could not in good faith not speak up during certain things, Mm -hmm. knowing how these people who I now have heard so much more about their inner world, how they're affected by this diet, by this dialogue. Um, And sort of this, like, I'll call it like very black and white assessment of, of very nuanced positions. Uh, You know, like just, like the the fact that um, me calling into question something was enough to end the friendship, not on my end, but on the other end, I thought was relatively insightful where it was like, it was like, why don't we like, if, if we're pushing this like free speech, open dialogue thing, why anyways, yeah. This is supposed to be a way. What did I do well? I don't. I'm not happy about losing friendships, yeah. but I, I actually felt good about uh, using empathy to engage with a larger community than mm-hmm. the people I was the most directly related to. Yeah, and it made it made some insecurities arise that I'm willing to address. You know, if it comes, if if the opportunity arises, yeah, uh, it just hasn't yet. Um, and you know, the, you know, the, just to point out, like these three people I just mentioned, they're not anybody I would have actually any. Um, like I, I, I'm completely open to rekindling a friendship because mm-hmm. I, I really do feel feel it was, yeah, you know, on on their end. And then yeah, like, yeah. plus it was, it was on social media, in... so like, yeah, exactly. It kind of doesn't really count until you have it out over a beer, like exactly. And, I mean, this is the thing for me. I. I wish that I was braver mm. at saying what I truly believe. I'm going to put that out there for 21. Yeah. I wish that I, uh, I stand behind what I believe. Mm-hmm. I'm more, I'm still scared at 41 years old of saying Steve Reich is not a racist. Like I can say Steve Reich may have said something in 1971 that was, off base from our current, the way we currently see the world. And maybe at, mm-hmm. maybe in the 1971 where, you know, but I have more pieces to the Steve Reich puzzle than most people. Mm-hmm. It's just true. I've just been around him more. I know more. Of, I've been in private situations where if anyone's going to say something shitty, that's when it's going to come out is when you're alone and no one's around. And Steve's been nothing but supportive. You know, but when stuff was blowing up around Steve, I was terrified to defend him. And that Mm. is something that I regret. It's something I know that 
if I was 85 years old and somebody was out there saying Josh Quillen was a piece of shit and never wanted to talk to anyone outside of his own idea sphere, like I would hope that Dorian Wallace would feel like he could come to social media and be like, listen, you all may be upset about something he said 20, 30 years ago. But I've been in the room with Josh more often than all of you. And you don't mm-hmm. have to believe me, but I'm just going to say mm-hmm. I think he's a net positive. That statement in September could have lost me my job. It could have lost me a lot of friendships. It could have lost me a lot, like caused me a lot of stress on social media. But mm-hmm. I believe it. I have, like it's a, tr- uh, it's a statement from my end that I feel like I can say a lot of things now months after the Reich thing. Where I feel mm-hmm. like I could be like, no, 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 you're wrong. You're just wrong. Like, yeah. it's okay. You may be wrong about it. Your feelings about someone aren't proof of anything. And your mm-hmm. feelings about a page out of a book that somebody published, it even if St- Steve said those words verbatim, okay, let's, let's evaluate him on the same playing field we would all hope to be evaluated on, which is on your whole lifetime, your whole output. And... For me, it's just like I was. I'm. A, I was afraid to defend somebody I stood behind, and that disappointed me more about me as a person than anything I think I've. I have felt about myself up to this point. I have a real question. Yeah. Just a. Uh, what um, what do you mean you would you could have lost your job if you had defended Steve? Well, I say that like to me that's where that's like the end result is. Yeah. That social media spirals where somebody is emailing my bosses at Princeton or NYU. I had students mm-hmm. come to me and refuse to play clapping music because they didn't want to play a racist man's music. Mm-hmm. I handled it privately. I reprogrammed it. But a three and a half minute, like had I stood my ground and said, no, 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 we're playing Steve Rice's music and here's why. There was like two or three steps from that that would have landed at my boss's foot, my boss's email desk. And I made a decision back in September to be like, no, 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 no. Clapping music is not the piece that is not the hill I want to die on right now. I'll trust that history will sort of bear this out. But at that moment, Dorian, now that we're December 30th, I was right. I am still right. That doesn't mean Steve Reich didn't say anything wrong. But my, my 18 year old students who are reacting to Twitter are not right. They're just not. They have feelings. That's, and that's absolutely justified. But this divide that comes between those feelings and wanting to actually learn the truth, to me, that's – and again, this is – I have the same thing. <laughs> like, I, whenever I come up against the moment where I got to pick up the spade and start tilling the soil, mm-hmm. fuck you, bro. I'm out. I'm going to go drink a rum and coke. It's way easier, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, and so that's, that's uh, for me why, why I said what I said. Wow. Yeah, so um, I, I just want to uh, – tell you something about about this please um, please do i'm curious i'm curious what you think um so i I teach the music for dancers course at martha graham Mm -hmm. um which is honestly like man it's it's a really cool gig because you're working with these high level artists but they're not musicians so like you know they don't know the difference between a xylophone and a snare drum Like, like you know they but like they're they're like expert dancers uh you know and they're familiar with music like really well they just don't know all the other stuff but um when the steve reich stuff was happening i played them steve reich um i played drumming specifically but used it as 
a talking point where it's like, okay, so this is some of where the music is inspired from. This is Steve Reich. Um, I need to tell you all something, and I'd love to hear what you think about this. Um, there's some controversy going on right now with this gentleman, and this is what it is. And this is all on Zoom. So I screen shared, you know, the article um, and was like, you know, but we can't deny uh, that he has been a major voice in in my field for the last 50 years. Like, you know, there wouldn't be dance accompanying that takes place the way it does right now had Steve not existed, hmm. you know, so let's have this conversation. Like, I'm not going to agree with this, uh, with this quote of his, but I also am not going to pretend like that deletes everything. So like, what do you think? And I don't know. It just, um, you know, obviously our circumstances were different because, uh, well, you know, Steve, where I do not. Um, but then also, uh, you know, you were uh, in a performance setting mm. uh, where mine was a classroom discussion setting. Mm. But <clears throat> I don't know. Um, we didn't, I mean, it was the same thing. We didn't come to a conclusion, but I just, you know, I didn't think writing off Steve Reich's music was the right thing, but I also didn't think it would be a responsible thing to like not mention that there's some major controversy happening. And uh, so I, I'm just curious, like, what, what do you think of that? Yeah. Like, does that relate at all to the circumstance you found yeah, yourself I mean, in? It, uh, to me, I mean, listen, I, you only get one shot at reacting to something that happens. And I, to me, my choice was like, so, so is releasing, I know we're coming up on one thirty here. So please tell me mm -hmm. if and I heard your baby saying, asking calling for her daddy so if there's if you got to sign off just tell me <laughs> we, we can we can jump off once this thoughts okay. finish uh, um yeah. the so is releasing a drumming at 50 project that we've mm. been planning for a couple of years with russ hartenberger from nexus and of of russian musicians and we did a, a we recorded a new version of drumming with russ and oh, nexus no. and i was asked by russ to do a series of interviews or conversations with a variety of people who were toured with Steve when drumming was premiered, uh, just in Steve's orbit, Joan LaBarbera, Jay, uh, Jay Clayton, Judy Sherman, um, Russ, Nexus. So like a whole Anna Teresa de mm -hmm. like there's 42 people I've interviewed since August about this, about Steve and about drumming and about the legacy mm -hmm. and about sort of what their experiences were. Gavin Breyers from England. Like oh, he was, wow. he was one of my highlights. Actually, Gavin is awesome. Um, he told the story about playing uh, mm -hmm. the Portsmouth Symphonia for Steve. And the only thing Steve said was what and why. And like, like it's like, Oh cool. Like this all makes more sense to me when you realize that Steve was just another composer in the room with Gavin and Michael Nyman and Russ. And they're all just in the room sort of, trading ideas like it's not any different than now at a new music gathering or you know bake sale or a so percussion brooklyn bound or whatever like i had conversations like that since august and my choice was to keep it private and be like i am just going to catalog i want to make sure that when i go public about this mm -hmm. when i'm on the record about steve publicly that i stand behind it so i'm not going to say anything publicly on social media about whether or not i think steve's the, and the thing about the Val Wilmer thing that was the most terrifying to me is that she said the word Steve ripped off Ghana. Like she said that Steve ripped off mm -hmm. music from Ghana and here he is, you know, what would you not be politicized? That was her quote. And I was like, Oh my God, my entire career with so percussion has been built on partially Steve Reich's music and a particular drumming. Like have I built my career on a fallacy? 
The answer is no. Hmm. Not at all. And I'll go to my grave with it. I have 42 interviews and I'm gonna. there's many more to add on to it. Two with Steve. I'm not saying his legacy is not com- complicated. I'm not saying Steve was never inappropriate around people. Watch the Judy Sherman one. There were five years where Steve wouldn't talk to her in a green room. Because she quit his group. Like, Dorian Wallace forms his own group, and then somebody quits to go get another gig. You're telling me Dorian Wallace is going to be in the green room all chummy with that person that left their group? Like, they're people. And has Steve's, like, but from where I'm sitting, starting in February when this stuff is launched, I'm right. Mm-hmm. I know I'm right. It's not complicated. Or it's not not complicated. Sorry. It is absolutely. It's, sorry. <laughs> not, it's, not, yeah, not, I, I like not. to speak of double, double negatives. Yeah. It's absolutely complicated. Yeah. But for people who say, was ripped off from an A-Way drumming group, you're wrong. You don't know what you're talking about. And you're wrong. That's it. Mm. I can say that. I know it for a fact. And if you want to have the keep, keep having the conversation, oh, Steve, Steve just appropriated everything from a master drumming ensemble. No, he didn't. Look at the piece. No, he didn't. Mm. Like, what do you want to talk about? Oh, phasing was stolen from Africa. No, it wasn't. It absolutely wasn't. It absolutely wasn't. <laughs> like, <laughs> you don't know what you're talking about. And I, yeah. like, to me, you can be upset at something that something, you know, Steve said in the 70s. That's okay. You can be yeah. hurt by that. You cannot graph that. Like if, if Frank Geary had come out to be this enormous racist, you can't come out and say that his buildings are not important in some way. You can't come mm-hmm. out and say they're not structurally solid. You can't say that. Why? Because Disney Hall is still standing. Mm-hmm. Like to me, this like two thought thing where you can look at Steve Reich and be like, yeah, he absolutely was influenced heavily by West African culture but also East African and South African and all of these weird, messy ways that's hard to piece together. But Judaism has had, I would say now, probably a larger impact on his music than West African music, or as large an impact Mm. in terms of the way he filters his thoughts through (laughs) Hebrew texts or all these different things. You know, he's talked about Bartok and Palestrina and Lane and Periton as much as he's talked about John Coltrane or Aretha Franklin to me privately. And so, yeah, keep keep retweeting the page out of that Val Wilmer book all you want. You're wrong. Mm. And so, like, uh, to me, that's – nobody knows that. People will know it once this is out. But, like, yeah. in February, there's going to be a whole database of, of things released where I'm just asking people about their experience. And the whole thing is, like, yeah, Steve is intense. He's told me he doesn't like what I've done a million times. But it's all community. And it's – and it's new. Like, so to me, that's, that's the thing where I'm lamenting a little bit is like, uh, I made a choice. I didn't confront anybody on what I truly believed. And I feel like now I'm going to be like, now I'm confronting you. And everybody's going to be like, bro, we're, we're not talking about yeah. that anymore. Oh, yeah, we, we, we figured that out. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to be the Japanese soldier on the island that comes out like 10 years after the war's over. I'm like, Steve Rice is good. And they're like, yeah, no, no, we thought through it. We were wrong. I'm like, oh, come on, you know? <laughs> Like that episode of Family Guy where George W. Bush like shows up in the office, like ready to go to Vietnam in nineteen seventy five. Dorian, it's a guy, guy, guy. Sorry. Yeah. Well, hey, yeah, bro. Yeah. Listen, your kid is crying, and I have yep, yep. kept you five minutes after. Please tell your 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 partner I'm very sorry. 
Oh yeah, everything's cool. And, ba- um, baby's baby's actually she's not um, crying. She's reading a book right now and she's oh, excited. Excellent. So, is yeah, it Steve uh, Reich's music as a gradual process? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it, it's actually uh, it is very minimalist. It's a uh, black and white fish like going in a stream together, ah. and she's just like wow. Wow. Are you going to play our Lamont is... Young next? Is that what you're going to do? <laughs> or Actually, Tom Johnson? We, we do uh, play a lot of you know pieces for her, uh, like where it's just like, all right, today we're going to listen to you know to Coltrane's Love Supreme because you've literally never heard this before, and you need like, to learn what bad Tam Tam uh, <laughs> overdubs are. <laughs> They just unmute the Tam Tam and it's there with all of its white noise and glory. There's no fade. There's no crossfade or anything. It just shows up. <laughs> I remember like being in grad school and listening to that piece with a teacher and then him being yeah. like, this is so amazing. I'm like, listen, I don't know anything about sound editing, but couldn't they have just done that little cross thing? Like, <laughs> or a I Tiffany mean, roll or something that came in. It was, uh, it was um, Slayer's first album. I think Hello Waits where, they recorded the feet first and then they recorded the hands separately. And it was cause like the producer said that that's how you should do it. And they just did it. <laughs> it like makes no sense. <laughs> like, it's just like, why? Like I, I heard well, an interview with Dave, Dave Lombardo where he was like talking about that. It was like, yeah, we, we don't know why we did that, but <laughs> we didn't know any better. Anyway. Well, yeah. listen, is there any sort of last final words to sort of leave people with here before we go into 2021 and pray for the best? Um, Stay safe out there, y'all. We didn't even actually get into it, but uh, I have um, two family members right now who have COVID and one who probably has it, but we don't know yet. I did see you mentioned something about it, yeah. Yeah, so um, it's stressful, man. It's uh, that that's actually one of the reasons I'm taking the social media break is I need to focus on family right now and, you know, arguing with anarcho-capitalist about about Austrian school of thought economics isn't like <laughs> the best way to perhaps to one would call it regrettable yeah 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 nobody wins nobody wins uh, but yeah so just be safe out there you know this pandemic um oh she is so cute she wants to be on the podcast bring her on bring her on yeah um but no uh just be safe out there and you know it's it's complicated. I, I think that, uh, you know, this pandemic has opened up a lot of wounds that I think we need to address healing. Um, and then just one, one like, final thought is the thing I keep thinking about this whole year is, like, this situation would have sucked at any time, any point, you know, anything. But out of all the fucking presidents to have during COVID-19, we have to have Donald Trump. Like, there's a tiny part of me that's like kind of glad because if it was Bernie or Biden, both of them would have been killed by coronavirus by now. <laughs> Somehow Trump has preserved himself with KFC and McDonald's. And like everybody's this is the thing, like we'll talk about another podcast, but everybody's just like 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 Trump's a piece of shit. It's like Bernie is the most susceptible person in the United States to coronavirus. Yeah. Bitch, keep him in a bubble. Are you kidding me? Like, let's not pretend like if he got in the hospital, he'd be just driving around being like, I'm okay. It's like, no, he'd be dead in 30 seconds. Man, the, the tweet I heard or I read uh, from Kyle Kalinske when Biden was uh-huh. the projected winner. Who We can't let the media. Sorry, that's all. We can have a whole podcast about conspiracy <laughs> theories. But anyways, um, Kyle Kalinske tweeted. Uh, it was like. 
It was like, there's nothing more gangsta than Joe Biden sleeping his way to the White House. <laughs> like, I could not stop. This is the thing. Like, everybody's talking about, like, like oh, Bernie would be better. Or Joe. It's like, listen, Joe Biden literally zoomed his way to the election and still won by six million votes. If right. he was actually campaigning, are you kidding me? This wouldn't have been uh, – this wouldn't even have been a ball game. Like, he, he did. It was Zoom. Won. He won with, like, a video of him, like, eating an ice cream Yeah, cone. Joe Biden. Oh, he's so bad. Oh, really? He won by just putting the, the thumbs-up emoji on the Zoom thing that we yeah. all – that we, that we all can – here, look. Boom. Joe Biden. Look, now I got a, thumb, a thumbs-up on my screen. Like, that's yeah. all he did for the campaign. And he still won. So, yeah, Joe Biden is the worst. Per- okay, anyway, yeah. That's another podcast. Well, but. So I would say if we do another podcast, we should dig into, th- into conspiracy theories because – that is a subject I think you and I probably have a an incredible wealth of knowledge. I did that... one with my brother back in like April, and it was awesome. So I would love yeah. to do that with you, Dorian. Um, yeah. So let's schedule. Well, hey, man, you yeah. tell your tell your uh, partner. I said thank you for your time. Yes, I yes. really appreciate it. Tell your small one um, that she'll never get this time back from daddy. Um, yeah, and it's my fault. <laughs> <laughs> um, but stay safe and stay healthy, and I wish you a happy yep. new year. And I hope to yeah. to share a beer in person. Yeah, cool. Stay safe. All right. Thanks, brother. Good to talk to you. Bye. Okay. I hope you enjoyed that conversation. This podcast is brought to you by Liquid Drum. Liquiddrum.com down in Waco, Texas. Uh, My good friend Todd Meehan runs an amazing percussion company down there. Great merch, great content. Check him out. Liquiddrum.com. Also, Kyle Dunleavy, dunleavypans.com, D-U-N-L-E-A-V-Y pans.com. Kyle Dunleavy makes and builds all the steel drums that I perform and teach on. so percussion as well as at nyu and princeton uh he's an amazing amazing tuner builder um just a really nice guy very dependable check him out if you are interested at all in steel pan advocacy uh, want to learn more about the goings-on uh, in pan in brooklyn check out paninmotion.com my good friend kendall williams uh jerry guy trisha guy and uh, arisha john run an amazing organization called paninmotion.com check them out and finally, Aleandre Mirage runs an amazing uh, clothing apparel company in Brooklyn that is steel pan centric. You can check him out at mango chow, C-H-O-W, clothing.com. I own a bunch of his shirts. They're amazing, very stylish, uh, beautiful, beautifully made. Check them out. Mango chow, clothing.com. Okay, hope you're well. Talk to you soon. Bye.